When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show, with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. It's been a long season, Redcasters, and whether you're a fellow armchair quarterback or a former national championship winning quarterback, I think many of us could use a little break from commenting on Husker football. So we're going to do about an hour of it. All right, no problem. <laughs> I'm also with Boomer. Well, regardless of what happened this season, Redcasters, at least we can all admit our long national nightmare is over and Alabama will not be making the college football playoffs. Heck, they might be Citrus Bowl bound, and that's going to be fun to watch. <laughs> oh, you just wait, Boomer. They're going to figure a way to get him in. Two loss Alabama, right? Ugh. I'm also with Mac. Turn out the lights, the party's over. <laughs> yeah, it's the end of the season. Gentlemen, we were hoping to cover a bowl game, and here we are. <laughs> 38 bowl games out there or something. We're just not one of them, right? It does feel different in the sense that we have, we've done a lot of these shows after losses, right, guys? The previous six, there was always another game to look forward to and think that we were going to see some some changes or improvement. But now we have what feels like an eternity, uh, September 5th of 2020, before an actual game is played after the Huskers uh, lost in Lincoln uh, last Black Friday, 27-24. Honky, um, and we're going to break down the X's and O's, offense, defense, uh, but let's just start with your general thoughts. You know, I truly believe what Frost talked about a few weeks ago when he said that, you know, we're an inch away and we're miles away at the same time, and that's exactly how I feel. If you think of just that Iowa game alone, think offensively, and you look at the first half of that, I felt like we were miles and miles away. And then in the third quarter, my gosh, we were a really good offense. We were inches away from being that division and, and conference competing kind of team. And so it is that close, and it's maddening to go through this again. But I don't know. I could see a lot of good, too, still. You know, Mac, this is a game where I wasn't completely mad or pissed off that we, we lost to Iowa. To Honky's point, it was a very competitive game. Iowa is a, a good team, maybe not a great team, but they did win nine games. There's nothing embarrassing about losing to Iowa per se, except it's the fifth time, right? But I was frustrated about how we lost the game and how that ended. You know, we really had a, a nice comeback during the third quarter. It looked like we had all the momentum, and then we squandered that in the fourth, and we really squandered uh, the chance to beat them in the last few minutes. And that was a really frustrating way to have a season end on that note. It was such a perfect capstone to the season, really, Dave, wasn't it? Because it was exactly like the rest of the year. A lot of potential, a lot of uh, pomp and circumstance, and at the end of the day, we do not know how to win a game. Are we talented enough? Yes. Are we? Do we have the right schemes? Yes. But at the, at the same time, do we make the plays when we need to make them? No. And do we allow things to happen that we hadn't allowed all game for another team to win? Yes. It's just the kind of thing we've been dealing with for the last two, three years 
And, you know, you hope you're over, you hope you're past, and it just rears its head again. You know, they fixed some concerns that we had going forward. They've done that all year. You know, like, oh, high snaps a problem. They fixed that. Penalties a problem. They fixed that. Mm-hmm. Running games a problem. We fixed that. Adrian, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's everything. Missed tackles. You know, turnovers on defense. We get a pick six. None of that seems to matter. The <laughs> kicking game resolves itself. We're kicking field goals now. And it's like, okay, I'm out of answers. I don't know what to tell you to fix in this next game to win a game. At some point, this team is going to learn how to win a football game. But for some reason, (laughs) as Husker fans, and it's been the last 20 years, there's just like maybe one more level of purgatory we got to go through. Well, so Mac, you've said this multiple times. You go as a Husker fan, as a podcaster, I'm not going to be small. Dave, did the team play small in that first quarter? Did the coaching staff coach small in the fourth quarter at the end? Sure. I mean, there was points of that game where we looked like the most dominant team clearly on the field. There were points where we looked like a Big Ten West championship kind of team at times. But there are other points where it's looked like it didn't look like we even deserved to be out there. Yeah, I, I hear you there. I mean, uh, you know, one of the quotes that have has been really beaten up over the last few days was Frost inheriting a team with weak confidence, I think was the term. And that's a great example there, Honk. I understand the criticism of the comment, but that quote has been wrangled around because he actually finishes the quote talking about how the team needs to learn how to win and that that's a trait that is, becomes a habit and all these type of things, right? And this team does not have winning habits. They don't make winning plays. And the coaching staff at times doesn't make winning decisions. That's something that they need to get better at because they weren't thinking big there in the fourth quarter with two and a half minutes left. It didn't feel like the play calling was there where they didn't trust Adrian to throw downfield or the receivers to make a play downfield. So they were very conservative and that resulted in some confusion um, and ultimately a, a really mismanaged game clock, right, Boomer? Yeah, I don't know why you'd want to play for overtime in that scenario. You know, we talked about it all year, how bad our red zone offense is. I mean, my God, college overtime is all about red zone offense and defense, and Iowa is not the team you want to try to go into that red zone matchup against because they're good at scoring in the red zone, and we're terrible at it. Like we'd said, it was just kind of a microcosm of the whole year. There were just some hesitancies here and there. People weren't always sure what they wanted to do. There were some communication breakdowns. You know, not just at the end of the game, but, you know, we returned the the interception for a touchdown. Why did we kick deep when we'd been kicking short the prior week against Maryland? It was working, and suddenly we kick deep all of a sudden, and look what happens as a result. It's just those little things that just add up, and they make such a huge difference in a season. I, you know, we've you know we talked about Nebraska, you know, always being so close to winning games. I looked at North Carolina for fun. You know, they're 6-6. Six and six. All six of their losses are by one score, you know, essentially or less. So they're are basically six plays away from being 12 and 0. Really? Wow. <laughs> a couple of their wins were by one point or less. So they're a couple of plays away from being, you know, three and nine. That's yeah. that's the razor's yeah. edge of college football. You know, Boomer, that razor's edge comment, that's really, it's right. I mean, it's a thin line between success and failure in college football. And we've been talking about you know, how are we seeing improvement in this team. And it feels like whether we like it or not, it just comes down to wins and losses, right? That's what we remember the season by is how many wins and how many losses. Yep. But with that North Carolina example there, they are a fraction away from being 12 and 0 or, or 3 and 9. And there's tons of other teams like that where the stats really aren't going to differ that much besides a few plays here or there. But your win loss record can be dramatically different. It's tough because it's hard to realize progress 
when you're five and seven after a four and eight. But the reality is, is, is that the team behind it is the same regardless of wins or losses. They just need to figure out how to get more W's on that board. Yeah, it's not just us. It's not just North Carolina. I mean, look at Iowa. As much as we hate them, I mean, their three losses were all within a one play, essentially. Iowa State's losses are all that way. Washington's are all that way, and their head coach has left. The term parity gets thrown out a lot in college football, but it's true. I mean, there's a lot of teams that are all okay essentially are kind of in that average middling category and it's just those little things you can do whatever it is you know some of the things we've talked about we've improved on you know whether it's penalties or you know finding a running game those sort of things but there's other things that you're still not doing that equate to just getting over that hump and we just haven't done that yet and a lot of teams don't and that's just the reality of college football and this happens at all levels of college football look at alabama this year right yeah they are not that far away from beating LSU. And Auburn, yeah. It happens at all levels of any football. The Raiders were up 50 yards on the Chiefs in the second quarter, and they were down 21 nothing. Yeah. yeah. For whatever the case may be, at the end of the day, it's always about points mm-hmm. and, and mistakes. Mm-hmm. You can be out yarding somebody, and then mm-hmm. when you throw a pick six, it's amazing how that negates all the good you just did. It's, and we've had a lot of good. A lot of good that we did this year, yeah. but it would always be negated by something. I, the, the drive that always sticks out in my mind, I think it was the Wisconsin one where we had the 15-yard sideline penalty. If I remember right, didn't that drive, if you add up the yardage, didn't we almost have 100 yards of offense? Yeah, I And think so. zero points. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. if that doesn't show you, I mean, you can literally get 100 yards – when does 100 yards end in nothing? But that's what happened. <laughs> right. That was the drive that had two huge chunk plays too, right? Oh, yeah. Everything yep. you want, Dave. Chunk <laughs> plays. And, you know, my God, it's the perfect microcosm of good and bad. It was bad special teams that basically we start, we're starting at our three-yard line, but we, could, but we can move the ball on the best of you. Then we have a bad penalty on a sideline thing, but we overcome that. We get all the way down in the red zone. We can't finish it off, and you end up with zero points. And at the end of the day, 100 yards looks great on on the stat sheet, zero points. And now, scoring explosion, the offensive breakdown. We're talking about having a lot of plays out there uh, against Iowa. We had, what, 79? How many plays? We had 79 plays, 56 rushes, 23 passes, to Iowa's 56 plays. They only had 31 rushes and 25 passes. We owned a 33-minute and 51-second to 26-minute and 9-second time of possession. Almost eight more minutes of of football than them. That that sounds like winning football, actually. We were break-even on the turnovers. We only had three penalties for 25 yards. They had six for 49. I mean, Dave, if if I showed you that stat sheet before the game. Yeah, I'd be feeling pretty good, right? And, uh, you know, special teams is a, a spot where we, we gave them that touchdown, and that probably ultimately really cost us quite a bit. That and, you know, there's there, the turnover that we did have uh, at the end of the first half potentially cost us a few points. Mac, let's start with the first half. I think we tried to do some cute things as uh, coach frost mentioned at the halftime as they needed to eliminate those in the second uh which were essentially ineffective uh, let's start with those swing passes what'd you see there yeah i know the outrage of the swing passes i understand it i i share the frustration with them but people also have to realize that's just the nature of this offense you know it, it used to drive me crazy when osborne would run short side option and we wouldn't get any yards out of it, Good but we do it Mike. all the time. And we, we would do that all the time. Shorts, I'm like, why don't we do that with all the speed we have? We run a short side option, and we get stuffed three mm-hmm. or four times. And then all of a sudden, you hand it to the fullback, and it gets a big play. 
You know, that is that that is how you live and die. And sometimes it's just execution. And actually, a lot of times it's execution. A couple of those plays, you know, they were set up. White Missouri was going to throw one deep. There was another time we pumped it, and Iowa played very disciplined. There was there was another time that Adrian didn't deliver the ball very well. And, and that's just how it is. I mean, nobody was successful passing the ball. You know, Iowa came into the game as a better passing team. When Nate Stanley came into the game as a better passer than Martinez, he didn't have a good game. It was a very difficult well, environment to pass the ball. These are the conditions and, of the time we played Iowa the first year under Riley, where we threw it 40 or more yeah. times, and I was screaming for not doing that. Well, we didn't. We threw it 23 times. And to your point there, Mac, with those side screens, I think that's a great point bringing up the short side option. The thing about it that Osmond was so, was so good about is that it led it's to something. It's some, a numbers game, right? Well, and it led to something else, yeah. too. We could – Okay, we could show you that, and then we could do the fullback dive, or we could do something to counter off of that. And what I think a lot of us felt the whole season as we saw those side screens was at some point, you're going to pump it once, right? You're going to go deep once. You're going to, it's setting up the defense for something. And it was that fact that it just never felt like we ever saw that something. We never saw that big pump and 30 yard pass. It never materialized. It was like a a season long setup with no payoff. (laughs) It's like, okay, we're going to bring Vedral and he's going to pump this and it's going to almost be picked. You're like, whoa, that was terrifying, you know? Honky, you talk about this all the time. It's like so many things need to go right for that play to be effective. But it's so frustrating when everything seems bogged down and, and nothing's working. Like oh, It just seems like you're running. You're just pounding sand. I mean, oh, yeah. You're just running your head into a wall. Nothing's happening. And Dave, not everything has to work right always to have a successful mid-zone run with Dedrick Mills. I mean, a five-yard run sometimes... You know, we can miss a block, but he can just break through somebody. It seems like we have to struggle so hard on those outside plays just to get back to the line of scrimmage sometimes. Yeah, and the blocking is the key on those, right? Sometimes we did have the numbers, but uh, Iowa cornerbacks much seemed even a lot better than Maryland or even Wisconsin corners on being able to shed those blocks or to position themselves that not even get touched. There's a couple of them where Iowa just crashed down and knew it was coming, right? Yeah, I mean, the intent there is to, to open up the middle of the field a little bit, maybe uh, build off of it, and um, it was, was frustrating. Ultimately, they did move away from the swing pass a little bit, right? And we did establish uh, a decent run game uh, by the end of the, the game. Mills had 94 yards. We had had quarterback carries, fifty six carries overall. That that's that's a huge number. Uh, Honky, did Mills have like twenty four carries? Isn't that like a yeah. magic number for you? I mean, to get into the twenties, I would at least say getting over twenty is kind of being the bell cow, right? And that was a, a knock on him for the Wisconsin game was he only got seventeen carries when he was so successful running it. You know, he was getting eleven yards a carry. Well, to give Iowa credit. We weren't getting 11 yards of carry. We were getting 3.3 yards of carry. Now, that has sacks factored into that. And Epinesa, man, that dude, I hope we don't have to play him again. Yep. And they knew how to move him around the D-line, too. I mean, he plays D-end, but then then he's lined up on Hickson. Or he's lined, you know, they yeah. could move him around. I've mentioned this before with our quarterbacks and how it's kind of interesting. We had three quarterbacks play, and they kind of said that each quarterback had his own package. And it's literally exactly the way I had it in my head. One package is Vedral kind of running the UCF offense timing routes and, and everything being released on time and, and a little bit of tempo. You're going downfield. You have Martinez where it just feels like it's a lot more pocket-based. And then you get McCaffrey out there, and maybe it's because they he's young and they don't want to throw too much at him or whatever it is. Right. But, man, they will force him out of the pocket like the coaches do. We're going to roll him out. We're going to run option with him. And when he gets out of the pocket – it's amazing how the ball can get thrown downfield when you get out of the pocket because yeah. defenders start coming up on you. Yep. And 
I don't care if you're a 6'3 receiver or if you're J.D. Spielman, you can get open downfield if defenders are coming up on the quarterback. And we've had more success throwing it down the field outside of the pocket than inside of it. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. It's what I love about the McCaffrey style of offense, and that, it's what I want to see when Martinez is in there. Before we get too far down this road, too, you know, I, I know that, that the McCaffrey-Martinez thing is a very divisive line at this point it with, with, be. with Husker fans. And it just does not need to be. You're 100% right. Frost, I don't believe, is married to Martinez in terms of, like, Oh, but, I'm a, I'm but a, Mac, he's his guy. He's handpicked. He, <laughs> he flew a jet to go. Yeah, I mean, I, all the other guys yeah, weren't handpicked. Not one single uh, of the quarterback. Yeah, they I were love all that. scrubs. You know, but <laughs> it's almost as if people think coaches don't want to win as many games as fans do. <laughs> yeah, because I know. somehow that doesn't determine their destiny. Like they, nobody wants to win more games than the coaches. So I, I'm not worried about. You know the open competition for quarterback next year. Well, I'm I'm excited about the fact that we can have a guy like Adrian Martinez, and, and we still have somebody in the wings that I can go. Well, maybe we should give this guy a look too. You know, like that to me is progress. Now we have two to three guys in the depth chart that can run the offense exactly as the head coach has intended to. You know, whereas when you lose Tommy Armstrong with Mike Riley, then you got Riker Fife, and that's a completely different kind of scheme. So it, it's nothing to be concerned about if we've got quarterbacks in there that can do it. Let's let them do it. Let's let it open up the competition. There's there's no reason to pick favorites. Well, you know that goes to our Plowboys barbecue and a mailbag that from this week and the first comment came from cody zeeb from facebook saying there needs to be an open qb competition next year to push someone to the top right sure and i think we're, we're all in agreement with that yeah we had a couple of other questions from ut in our plowboys barbecue and a inbox and co-worker eric from our twitter basically asking which position group do you feel improved the most from the end of 2018 to, to the end of 2019 because that's kind of the narrative right yeah. now is we're five and seven we didn't make it to a bowl game there's no progress the the world is ending right. but where did we show some improvement, Dave? Offensive line. I agree. 100%. Yeah, I mean, they clearly have been able to establish some sort of run game over the second half of the season, which looked dire, I would say, <laughs> earlier in the year. And, uh, I mean, the, the pass protection uh, could get better. They still get you know beat by some really great players like A.J. Epineza, who's just like, that guy's a top 10 NFL draft pick. But I think, you know, I, we could have some actually a, a couple different players on that, that O line, but you got to like the depth next year and the progress that was made this year. So I think Greg Austin made some big improvements there. Well, so then looking to next season, Boomer, I'll throw a question from coworker Eric about which position group needs to make the biggest jump for NU in 2020. And this is on the offensive side. Let's stay right now. I mean, it goes hand in hand. It's, it's either got to be, you know, quarterback being able to, throw downfield or receivers being able to have that downfield threat and I think that's probably one of the one of the biggest issues with that we kind of saw in the Iowa game those side passes you know are fine and they can work if the secondary has a respect for a downfield threat and that was part of the big problem with the Iowa game is once that receiver or once our running back went into motion those the cornerbacks and safeties for Iowa would just automatically know we're going to throw to the sidelines they would crash down right away and it was really hard for whoever we had out there to block and they could get they would shut that down, and that was the problem with those. We never seemed to have that, okay, we're going to fake that pass to the sideline and suddenly our receiver's open because we just never seemed to develop that threat this year. So it's it's something in that's, that, that sort of hand, whether it's the receiver or it's the quarterback itself being able to have that downfield threat. Mac, what do you think for next season? 
the running back position improved regardless of the depth too because Mills improved as we were losing depth. You know, like Maurice Washington went away. Ramir Johnson became less and less of an option as we went on. But Mills did improve. Yeah, but the wide receiver group, that's a that's an area where it's like it's not it's not just a matter of, of talent production. It's it's a body type size. We have no height. We have no physical uh, imposition on the other team in, in that respect but we have some guys in the fold that we could maybe do that and stretch the field you know hickman's a guy that we can maybe push it down there that's an area where i feel like uh, we really need to separate ourselves and be big 10 in that respect i feel like we're very pack 12 and are in our wide receiver prototype right now we're very 510 and, and 185 pounds it's just ugh, well, you my, know mine is dedrick mills we're very pack 10 when it comes to running backs facts you know so it's a fact attack uh that, that's an area where <laughs> <laughs> that's an area where we really – that's an adjustment that that's, this offense needs to make and it needs to address. It's so hard to count on, on, on incoming people we've never seen play, but the fact is we don't have anybody on the team right now short of maybe a Hickman with any size that we can count on wide receivers. So that's a concern for me going, going into next year. You know, Honky, I'd like to come back to that QB competition storyline just a little bit um, because I think – Everyone here on the Redcast agrees that there should be a an open QB competition. I, I don't think there ever should be a question about that. To Max point, competition is always good, and we want depth at that position, which is like any position, really, right? It's been really interesting to to listen to some of the radio shows, and some of the fans have completely lost their heads on this. And credit to like uh, Severe and Benning, they they've had a lot of these questions. They handled them pretty well, in the sense that you know McCaffrey came in for a trick play. And it was a successful trick play, and it went against a tendency, right? They put McCaffrey in. You expect he's going to run the ball. They roll him out, and it does exactly what you expect. The cornerbacks get sucked up, and J.D. gets behind the coverage and scores a touchdown. But let's give Frost some credit. That's a great play call and a use Mm -hmm. of a McCaffrey there. That seems to be missed in this whole conversation. But it was one play, and he hasn't thrown the ball that much this year. Mm-hmm. And so this whole QB controversy that some people want to like brew that look, obviously McCaffrey should be playing right now or starting next year. He's had a very limited amount of snaps for us to actually evaluate that and a limited, a limited amount of the playbook handed to him. It seems like that's just my opinion. Sure. But, uh, and honky, you, you like that offense. That's a different story. That's that you can make that argument that we should be running that regardless. It should be a simpler playbook and more QB run heavy and all that type of stuff. But that's a different argument. Other people are just saying, well, he's better at it than Adrian. Well, Adrian has a, a larger playbook to manage at this present moment, I, I feel like. And so uh, it's apples to oranges right now. And we need a QB competition in, in the spring, Mac, to your point, to actually see uh, a full evaluation of not only – Luke McCaffrey versus Adrian Martinez, but also Noah Vedral, who at times has, has looked good. So I, I don't know why anybody would think that Frost would only want to favor Adrian Martinez because he's his guy when, I mean, he also went on a, on a limb to, to guarantee Luke that he didn't get a chance to play quarterback at Nebraska, opposed to some other schools that wanted to switch him to wide receiver. Some of the same fans that probably are clamoring for Luke McCaffrey to start next year were probably the ones saying, yeah, shouldn't McCaffrey be a wide receiver anyway? I don't look at any of this as a QB controversy. There needs to be a QB competition, just like there needs to be running back competitions and wide receiver ones, plain and simple. I hear some about the, the limited offense that maybe a McCaffrey ran versus a Martinez. 
I don't really care. What I want to see is I want to see mobile quarterbacks out there making plays with their legs and making plays with their arms. Yep. Um, it's crazy that a trick play is a rollout pass because that's all it really was. Mm-hmm. I don't really care how big the, the playbook grows. I don't think Wisconsin has a huge playbook. They can sit there and they go, we do these two or three things really well, and we're going to just keep pounding it at you, and we're going to keep doing the same thing. I want to see us be able to do those two or three things really well. And so I mentioned earlier with Mills as a running back, I'd like to see another Mills kind of guy on the team. I want to be able to to do that consistently, and then I want to be able to have a quarterback that can get outside the, the pocket. And if that's Martinez, awesome. If it's McCaffrey, awesome. If it's Vedral, awesome. I want someone that stresses a defense in different ways. And you saw it. I don't care if Wisconsin was stressed by it. Iowa's defense was stressed by it. When a quarterback was mobile and moved around, they don't like that. And when they sit in a pocket, Epinesa loves that. You know, I don't know if Adrian runs that play that the the cornerbacks, the secondary has the same reaction to it because he doesn't seem 100% healthy right now. Last year, maybe that was the case, but it doesn't seem like they're as threatened by Martinez's legs running his legs than Mm -hmm. he was uh, his freshman season for whatever reason. And and hopefully he's, he's healthy and that competition in spring or next fall is a healthy Adrian Martinez and a fully healthy Luke McCaffrey and a fully healthy Noah Vedral, because that's what you, you want to see for them to operate the frost offense. I think, I think I saw the stat where Adrian had like, was it 14 carries in this game? And those include sacks. And if you compare that to the UCF offense, that's quite a few more carries than uh, McKenzie Milton would have had. So uh, it's interesting to see how mm-hmm. how much run heavy we get or or not. And I think it's the effective QB run that we're mm-hmm. looking for, opposed to the trip up in the uh, in the pocket, um, get one yard type thing, right, Hunk? I mean, that's the key. Well, yeah. Anyone that watched the pregame of the Iowa game on BTN, you'd have seen Coach Denardo and, and Urban Meyer breaking down the Nebraska offense. And Urban Meyer was talking about the run-pass options, and they repeatedly asked the question of, like, when do you want the quarterback to, to, to keep this and not? And he's like, almost never. None of my calls are, are intended for the quarterback to run it. Right. I want it to go to the to the running back. But if the quarterback has to make a read where he's going to pull it and run it, then I'll, I'll have him take it. But you're not intentionally calling runs out there more times than not. You're not trying to get the quarterback out there running it to where he can take those hits. I also don't think Adrian played that bad against Iowa. There was lots of times he stressed Epinesa by the way he, he, he faked that ball and like darted outside to keep that guy locked in and let Mills get some yards. Adrian didn't play that bad of a no, game. He I mean, just it, looked slow. Yeah. And why he looked slow, whether it is, as Adam Carricker said, hey, it's the 20 pounds that he's bigger. Or is it injuries? Or was he slower reading things? I don't know. That's above my pay grade to tell you the answer to that, right? But you can't tell me that he didn't look slower than he did a year ago. The kid's slower. He's slower. But whether that's injury or too much too much muscle or whatever it is, he is slower. He is less decisive, and he he looks two clicks slower. I mean, like the, the difference in the offense when 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 McCaffrey's running it. And I'm not saying this is a pro McCaffrey rant, mm-hmm. but when McCaffrey's running, it's just going at 100 miles an hour. He's just going to do whatever it is in that package to, to to make a play happen. Adrian looks like he's thinking. He looks like he's thinking when he's running. He looks like he's thinking when he's throwing it. I mean, he constantly looks bogged down by thought process. That's been the whole year. In every game, I thought, well, this will be the game that goes away. And it never went away. He looked like that the entire year. And that was the most boggling thing of all, where we have this young freshman, this kid who's like, you know, we're hearing he's he's smoking this test that that, that Verduzco gives 
You know, he understands the offense so well. And every time he's in there, he's just cutting it loose and letting it go. And at the same time, you've got this returning starter who put up big yards and was a big-time player, and he looks slow every time. Well, and two, every of the, time. two of the plays that come out, of course, there are ones that happen towards the very end of the season with Martinez, but one of them was the, the big sack he took against Wisconsin, right, the 20-yard yep, right. sack. And then in this game, of course, running out of bounds in the second down. He's a veteran at this point. Well, at some Even point, though he's a true sophomore, he's 22, 23, 24 games into his career, essentially, and those were mental breakdowns on plays that, that really hurt us. Now, we're coming off really anti-Martinez here, and, and that's not our intention. We're just trying to discuss what we're seeing. We have three QBs that are good fits in this offense, that can run this offense, that need to compete this offseason. I think we have three guys that we can win with. I don't mm-hmm. care who the starter is don't next year. I want the best guy to be the starter, and whoever that is through a, a full competition, so be it. If it ends up being Adrian, awesome. then fine. He's I got 20-some starts I under care. him. I don't want to throw yeah, that I, away. I think the odds are it, it will be Adrian. I'm not saying it, it is, but the odds, if you're putting numbers on there, I mean, he does have more experience, and he might get healthy, right? I mean, he may have been mm-hmm. beat up all year, essentially, at some point, and I mean, you could Absolutely. argue on why yeah. was he playing if he was that beat up and all this type of stuff, but look, I mean, at the end of the day, you're right, it comes down to the QB coach and his trust in, in which quarterback can best execute the game plan and, and all those type of things, and um, we're, we're going to find out, and uh, actually, I'm excited to see that. I think that's going to be good for the entire team to actually have that type of competition because everybody will be working that much harder i agree yep. yeah hey uh, boomer really quick you're our chief financial officer what is honky's pay grade <laughs> well he's a uh, level 6g at this point so yeah <laughs> 6g what is that greg shiano numbers because or... <laughs> i don't want that job <laughs> nobody really wants that job i, I... No one's had the heart to tell them they're in the Big Ten East and not the Big East anymore. New Jersey just got really hard to recruit. (laughs) It's time to throw the bones. All right, let's uh, throw the bones, guys. Uh, You know, the defense had a a kind of uneven performance versus Iowa. We had a couple of big run plays that cost us early, but then ultimately shut down the Iowa run offense for most of the second half, uh, if not all. And uh, Nate Stanley, who has an NFL arm, blah, 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 did not have a great day either, except he made two key passes at the end. Mac, what were your overall impressions of the defensive performance? I really liked our defensive performance against Iowa. I felt like we were physical, more physical than I had seen us play in a long time. We were filling the lanes, rushing lanes and smacking. Dismute came up a couple of times and really hit. You know, Doman was in on a lot of plays. Khalil Davis was getting in the backfield. I just felt like as Big Ten ready as I'd ever seen us play. You know, Darian Daniels holding down the middle. I just felt like this wasn't a matter of Iowa running down the clock and running down our throats. It was like they were going to earn it. They had to earn it every time. And every play, there was a cost. You know, and, and that cost was a physical hit at the end. So... It's it's easy to point to him at the end of the game and say they gave up that last drive, but we that defense played well enough to win that game. Yeah, they really gave up twenty points, and you know if they could somehow get back the the reversed a touchdown where they lost containment, right, Honky, and then mm-hmm. the one Goodson run where he cut back kind of all of Minnesota, they they sh- really shut down Iowa. You take those two plays out and the the kickoff return, and Iowa barely scores in that game. Yeah, I mean, that's a credit to Iowa there with that reverse play. I mean, they 
They've seen something on tape. We've that we don't contain very well. <laughs> yeah. Well, we we gave up the edge against Indiana at the end. We gave up the edge against Purdue at the end, and they took advantage of that. But what they couldn't take advantage of was just that guaranteed five yards up the gut, which is what they had a year ago when we played. Absolutely. Them. Again, it's the same result, which is a walk off field goal for a loss. That's exactly what we saw a year ago. But it is a different style being played against us. We were better in the trenches. We were better physically against them than we were a year ago. Well, that's a team that beat Minnesota. Sure. Which is a team that beat us by a significant margin, and they only beat us by a field goal. I, I know that's really hard to look at that in, in the transitive property and whatever, but there was there's some improvement there. And the, and the physicality that we played with, I guarantee you Iowa didn't walk away from that game going – now nah, we smoked those guys. You know that that was a that was a physical game in which we came to play, and I don't think that's going to go away next year either. Jim in Minnesota on our Twitter account, you know, he says the defensive improvement was noticeable. Just unfortunately, the offense never made the needed improvements in year two to result in the wins. And I tend to agree with that overall. I mean, the defense there was improvement. Uh, Sipple had an article in the Journal Star this week about how the defense improved. He goes, not enough. But it did improve, and he went over four or five main categories of stats and sacks and and turnovers, and there was improvement. But as with this team as a whole, it just never translated into victories. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 we're we're such a bizarre anomaly of things that I would say, oh, if this happens, you win. We if get this the, happens, you win. If this happens, get, you win. All those three things would happen, and we lose. We get the pick six touchdown, and we turn around – kick off and give them a touchdown on the kickoff return. I mean, it just nothing ever flowed momentum-wise from one side of the game to the next side to the next side. You have three phases of the game, and they felt like they were completely separate from one another every game that we played. Yeah, the stats there, that's really interesting in the sense that, you know, we were concerned about just because of past years, and I think the defensive line was probably concerned about this again, I got getting just pushed around by Iowa's offensive line and having these big running plays. And generally speaking, outside of those two plays we already mentioned, it, it didn't happen. From a matchup perspective, and Boomer, you ran through the Iowa stats last week before the game. It was actually the passing game that should have concerned us. And they have some pretty talented wide receivers. And honestly, we generally took those guys out of the game. And again, we lost, though, right? That's just, It's amazing. Again, it's just like we talked. It's just so many things have to go right for you to win a college football game, and we would always find a way to mess one of them up. And just whatever it was, it's just kind of the story of the last couple seasons. In uh, a game of inches like this, and this is where the stats usually dictate that things even out over time, is that at some point we're going to have a, a season where these things fall in our direction. And you don't always want to have these super close one-possession games, et cetera. But when you do, sometimes you'll have a season where that turns. We had that a couple of years ago when Riley actually won seven games to start our season. So it, it, It's tough to say. I mean, some teams are just capable of winning these. I mean, Iowa, this is what they do. They like to have these stupidly close one-possession games, and they win most of them. Every game they play this season is within about one score, and they're 9-3. I mean, they could easily be 3-9 and nine or undefeated. Iowa, I mean, Ferentz was happy punting from, what, our 35 and our 39 at I believe two points correct, this game. Yeah. And it's just, that's a maddening thing to do. And you should lose games when you do that. With that kicker. Yeah, and, and that was something we talked about. You know, when Minnesota was playing Wisconsin, they punted from Wisconsin's 35 when they were up 7-0 in the game. And that just totally seeded momentum in that game. 
That's typically what happens in some cases. But Iowa, for some reason, is okay playing that, and they just hope the other team just doesn't take advantage of it, and we didn't. And well, they probably knew that we were going to probably somehow field the ball with inside our 10-yard line. That's a good guess with us, yeah. You know, William on Facebook said we need to fire Shenander and hire Mike Stoops. Also take away the black shirts for 2020. Um, Are you telling me that maybe William needs to take a step back from that? Maybe a, a better question of like, oh, should we fire somebody or not? Is uh, should we stick with the three four or not? Right? And with Shenander, that's what we're going to do. We're going to stick with the three four. And we've seemed to have gotten better, even though this is only year two of his three four. And we know that there's other three fours out there, like Wisconsin, that can be extremely effective, even in the Big Ten. So uh, you either ride this out, and this is about the consistency of coaching staff, right, Honky? The value of sticking with the same system over a longer period of time and sticking with some of your same assistant coaches um, to establish that culture and and build up your depth um, to actually recruit to positions. And I feel like you know a lot of people are just frustrated with the three four, whether it's Shenander or not. And at the end of the day, I think we still need to give this coaching staff and that scheme a couple more years to finally get everybody in place to execute it. Sure. I mean, I think if we learned anything from the Riley era, it's clearly after two years, fire your defensive coordinator and start from scratch and switch schemes. I mean, that only is going (laughs) to bound for great things, right? At some point, we need to stick with something. A couple weeks ago, I mentioned the Davis Twins as an example where they were redshirt seniors here, which means they, they played here for five years. But when you include their recruiting their senior year in high school, that's really six years that they were involved with the program. And in six years, they never one time had the same position coach, coordinator, and head coach combination at any point in any of the six years. It changed every single time. And so the fact that Khalil Davis ended his career here as a third-team All-Big Ten defensive player, the fact that we had any success on defense at times is almost shocking as anything to me because we've never had any consistency. And so the last thing that we need to do right now is to bail on what we've been working on the last two years to get to, you know, to to build up on. We just need to keep getting better at it. And I feel that across the board, everything, whether I like it or not, sometimes I don't like side screens or this or that. You know what? Whatever it is that we're doing, we have to stick with that. The coaches can make little tweaks, but when when we're talking about wholesale changes, position changes of coaches and scheme changes, man, that doesn't jive right now. And, again, we were – inches away from being nine and three doing the exact same stuff that we're doing when a fan base starts talking about switching from a three four to a four three like we have any idea what we're talking about you know like we have any idea how this scheme would translate as best to the conference i mean if if if, if wisconsin is the beacon of the west and and they're showing like they're the most consistent program out there and they're running the three four then why are we even talking about whatever you're doing maximize it and if it's not working then we can talk about it but until you're the best at what you're not even the best but the best example of what you could be doing that system then we don't even really talk about changing it you can't equate good and bad play to a scheme you can't sit there and go well well, this team ran a bunch on us so obviously it's because we're in a three four because as far as i know culture eat scheme for breakfast well that's the statement no as far as i know we were in a four three when melvin gordon ran for 400 plus yards on us i mean it's not the scheme scheme isn't it it's about getting the right players and having the right players doing the right things i mean we i'm more concerned about us not setting the edge in a 3-4, and what is it going to take this offseason, whether it's recruiting new players or just making sure the guys that are on the team know how to do that. If we're sitting here 12 months from now and we're still talking about not setting the edge, okay, fine, 
William from Facebook, then we can start talking about what's going on, Shenander. What's going on? Yeah, was, that's coaching, right? They should be able to fix that, especially yes. in, in, over an off season of saying like we need to be able to with whatever what coaching technique or whatever they're emphasizing should be able to like fix the inability to set the edge and have contain on the outside, and that that should be fixed. If that isn't fixed, then 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 we can talk about that. I mean, look at Wisconsin. Just from a developmental program standpoint, you look at those linebackers. I don't, I don't know what their recruiting stars are, but you know, probably Zach, not high. Zach Braun and blah 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 are probably three star guys that they get likely from Wisconsin or nearby states. It's not like those guys are five star guys that are coming from Florida, and so that that should tell you if Wisconsin over year after year after year has the coaching. And the development in the program to bring those uh, three, four linebackers along and have that type of production, we should be able to do the same. Dave, we've talked about this in the past. I know Mac and I have offline is that we've heard so much about culture and we need to change the culture. And what does that even look like? Right. Part of changing the culture at some point is where you're not playing redshirt freshmen out of necessity anymore. They better be darn good players to be playing that early. And right now, we're still talking about needing redshirt freshmen even a year from now to really fill into maybe some major roles because we just don't have the depth there. But when you look at Wisconsin's – I'll go to the offensive line for a second. They could lose four guys to the pros last year and replace them this year with four guys that are basically redshirt juniors and guys that have been in the program three, four, five years. And next year, we're talking about Ben Hart being our right tackle as a redshirt freshman, a second-year guy. Another thing of culture is that – I love Martinez. I really do. But I don't ever want to see a sophomore quarterback be a captain again. I don't want to see a senior grad transfer be a captain again because of what I want to see is fourth and fifth year guys that have been in the program that yeah. long to be, be captains. And, and, and that's not a knock on Darian exactly. Daniels. I think he was amazing. He, he was huge for this year. But that is, that's just an example of why the culture was kind of skewed. It's, yeah, I mean, when guys, right. when guys that have only been here 12 months or less, in some cases, are your captains, that's a culture thing that I already a year from now, I want to see the Ben Stillies who have been here for five years, the Matt Farniaks that have been here for yeah. five years, J.D. Spielmans. I want to see guys like that be captains a year from now. No, absolutely. And it, I think this is another thing where a lot of people want to draw a comparison to different programs, and they look at Chris Kleiman at K-State, and they're like, well, well he did it, or Mac Brown, right? And mm-hmm. every situation is different. I, you just cannot compare across programs. Every, the individual team that you have, the culture that you inherit, all those type of things. And in this instance, I think there's a big clash there. And I'll be honest with you, I, I think this coaching staff, if you want to like, you know, be hard on them, they didn't expect it to be this hard, right, Honky? I mean, they they expected it. it worked in year two at UCF. Why wouldn't it work in two years at Nebraska? But every situation is different, and that situation at UCF was different than what they've had here, and uh, they've had to take some knocks, you know, and uh, that's the reality of it. Hey, Boomer, uh, you know, we usually include special teams with our defensive breakdown, and we've kind of hammered on the uh, kickoff mistake, which if you want to go into more depth, please do, because it's maddening to me that, that it happened. It should never have happened. Um, but we also as my dog barks, uh, <laughs> we also uh, can't kick the ball deep, right? I mean, is that something we can fix next year with uh, some more walk-on kickers or something? I mean, we should be able to cover kickoffs. We also should be able to 
get touchbacks, right? Yeah, I, I guess I'm just still baffled at the entire special teams end of this whole game. It's whenever we fix one problem, it's something else in special teams are up to its head. You know, we don't punt well, but all right, we'll find somebody else who can punt and we'll make it do. And then all of a sudden we can't get field goals because every kicker we have is hurt. And it's just one thing after another on special teams. And it's, no, it's a, just kind of a broken record in this podcast, but that's something we've hit about for all the years we've been doing this, how important special teams are to games and how critical it is to just that razor's edge we've talked about balancing on. If you can make special teams work, everything else is just so much easier than at that point. It's just, we've, we've seen it this year. How many games did we have where we get some momentum, the crowd's into it, everything's great, and then all of a sudden a special teams blunder just deflates everything and gives teams new life, takes our fans out of it, and takes our team out of it, and it's just, it's just killer at this point. Yeah, you're losing a phase of the game, obviously, and that is it's killing us. All right, well, that's that's a depressing way to finish off a segment. But... Sorry, folks. We, we call them as we see them here. <laughs> I mean, let's bring joy back to it. Boomer Brett Sellaton on Facebook asked us, uh, my question is, what happened on the last field goal? Uh, no Iowa players reacted like they thought there was a penalty, yet I've never seen Frost so upset, so there must have been a reason besides losing. Why was Frost so upset after that field goal, Boomer? Um, I, I guess I'm not sure exactly what he was talking about. It could be either the, you know, the refs kind of delaying the whole spot, letting him spike it thing, or maybe it was Frost was mad at uh, the Iowa kicker, kind of blowing kisses, blowing kisses at us. You know, you could be pissed That's at my it, guess. but whatever. It, it's a rivalry game. Just accept it for what it is. That's going to happen, folks. Yeah, there's no reason to be mad at that kicker for blowing kisses if. Yeah, don't let him throw 22 yards on you the, the play before, and it's not an issue for us, I guess. I don't know. Don't run out of bounds on third down and, or mean, second down. They never get the ball. It's, so. it's just it's just another another in a long line of examples of games we could have won, but because of one reason or another, we don't. Yeah, that's the truth. All right, guys. Uh, I think that's uh, enough of beating up the Iowa game. Let's get out of here with some parting shots. Honky, what do you got? Well, I got a couple things, and to, to start off, I want to say uh, I'm drinking right now out of my Pick 6 koozie. Right. I want to say congrats to Brett Siancia of Pick 6 for becoming a Heisman voter. He just mm. uh, posted that to Twitter uh, this week here, so congrats to him. I know he was doing the Bolitnikoff, and geez, I think yeah. he's done AP voting, but what a cool story. I mean, a guy that just loves college football and with you know no backing of any major media. Yeah, just a guy who does his homework. Yeah, just does his homework and... and and look at what he's he's grown out of that. And so great job, Brett. Uh, really proud of you. Uh, it's been fun chatting with you. I hope to, we get a chance to chat with you again here. Aside from that, you know, it is time to transition away from football a bit. And basketball, I know we're playing Georgia Tech here this week. We're playing, obviously, Creighton this weekend. So, Dave, I mean, you know, we're starting to now get into some of the meat of the schedule. Yeah, we have uh, several big games here over the next couple of weeks. Uh, and they start really uh, – on, on Wednesday here, we have Georgia Tech in the uh, Big Ten ACC Challenge. That will be interesting to see how that plays out. And then Creighton over the weekend. So, you know, we have seen some improvement in the offense and uh, from Fred Hoiberg. You know, we beat Washington State and USF down in the Grand Caymans. Also, a, a, probably a pretty good George Mason team, which comes to no surprise. So, I, I, I feel like if they could you know, turn a corner here and, and somehow grab even one of these wins this weekend, that would be a, a great uh, step forward. All right, uh, Boomer, what do you got? 
Well, I'd just like to uh, give a shout out to uh, Donny Dodge, who's recently done a uh, kind of entertaining documentary on uh, the 1910 Husker team, uh, led by noted coach uh, W.C. King Cole. Um, it's a I went and saw it tonight at the uh, Ross down at UNL. He's going to be doing several uh, viewings of this and probably more to come. You can check some of our retweets and uh, please check his Twitter feed to take a look at that. And I think as most of our Laurie listeners know, we're a big fan of uh, pre-World War I Husker era football here. So it's a great opportunity for you to reach out and learn a little bit about uh, one of the teams from that era and just kind of have some fun with it, delves deep into some of the players. And uh, a lot of times with these shows, he apparently has some of the descendants of some of the players. Tonight, there was a whole bunch of uh, the Shanka family. Sylvester Shanka was uh, one of the noted players from that 1910 team. So it was a great time and uh Good opportunity to learn and just have some fun with some of the early years of Husker football. So I highly recommend a viewing if you get the chance. So check it out. All right, sounds good, Boomer. Mac, what do you got for me? You know, Husker fans, the seasons go by so fast. And, uh, you know, we wait all year for this to happen, and we, we get so excited. And, it, and it's hard when it when it collapses on us like this. But I, I truly, truly feel like some good years are upon us. And, and – Let's just calm down on the social media. Let's just calm down on, on how we, we present ourselves as fans. I think things are going to go in the right direction. Uh, we got the right guy at the helm. And let's not forget that he is, he was the number one coaching prospect the year we got him. So, um, keep the faith, Husker fans. Things are going to turn around. I've covered 15 wins as a podcast. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's ridiculous. But. And, and Mac, you know, <laughs> There's no one else that cares more about this than Scott Frost. I believe that. So I agree, Dave. You know, I mean, we're all trying to get this done, and he's going to work as hard as he possibly can. So, all right, guys. Uh, good talking to you. And let's call that a Go Big Redcast. Go Big Red. Here we are.